The following message was recorded at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. More information can be found online at Bethlehem.Church. The sermon text for this morning comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 13. The Gospel of John, chapter 13, starting in verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover... When Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given him all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you, for he know who is to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I've done uh, to you? You call me teacher and Lord, you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should also do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. And God bless the reading of his word. In last week's message, I mentioned that my wife and I, along with several others, several others from Bethlehem, were heading to the, to the Sing Conference in, in Nashville, Tennessee, and It's put on by the Gettys and others who labor together to write songs for the church. And a couple of things I just want to share with you. It was so good for my soul to sing. Noon, what, 1 o'clock on Monday till 11, 11.30 at night on Monday night. Tuesday morning, all morning, and then... Tuesday evening, I don't know, 7 to 10.30 or 11. And then Wednesday morning. It was just good. Good for my soul to sing and to sing and to sing. And I was struck because I was thinking about this message on serve. Holding out a call to devote ourselves to serve one another to love one another, to build up one another in the church. 
just seeing these artists, these gifted people from across the world gathered together to pool their gifts and strategize and think and labor. How might we serve the church? What songs could we write for the church? They don't even know you. They don't know me. They're laboring. You know, one of the illustrations was, who cares if, if they remember my name? I want them to sing a song like Jesus Loves Me. Who, who wrote that song? And that their children and their children's children would sing and worship. It was just a beautiful picture of multi-gifted people laboring together to serve the church. I said to my wife the, the next day, I just sang all night in my head in the bed as I slept. <laughs> um, and I, I want us to learn, one, well, several of the songs, but here's one of them that stuck with me. It's kind of a benediction song written out of the Exodus. Our God will go before us. The Lord of hosts is with us. Oh, praise the one who leads us on. For his grace will bring us home. Isn't that sweet? We'll learn it. We'll get Chuck and the team to and we'll close with it and we'll be full of confidence in God as we head into next year's election year. Anyway. <laughs> this is the fourth. This is the fourth in a series of five sermons focused on the strategy by which we seek to accomplish our mission, which is to spread a passion for the supremacy of God in all things for the joy of all peoples. I'm going to say this again. Now, our strategy for doing this is by the grace of God to make disciples of Jesus who gladly glorify God together in five lifelong priorities. Worship, belong, grow, serve, and go. And so I'm going to restate the three that we've already covered before we begin this fourth one. As those who've been born of God, having come to trust and know God through Jesus Christ, we devote ourselves to worship Him, being glad in God and all that He promises to be for us in Christ Jesus. Second, as children of God, we devote ourselves to belonging to one another since God, in His grace, has made us to belong to Him together through Christ Jesus, now and forever. And third, we devote ourselves to grow in our salvation toward Christ-like maturity, nurtured together through his word as we grow in the grace and the knowledge of God. And this growth is not optional. It's an, it's an essential aspect of life in Christ Jesus. And then this morning, my aim is to call us together to devote ourselves to priority number four, which we're calling serve. I'll read the, the statement. Since Christ came to serve and lay down his life for us in love, let us, enabled by his grace, devote ourselves to serving 
fellow believers in sacrificial love. Father in heaven, help us now. We, we love because you first loved us in Christ. So come and enable all these lifelong discipleship priorities. But in particular now, I pray that you'd fan the flames of our serving one another in love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself for us. Grant that we would love one another more and more and more and more, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the Apostle John, who wrote this account for us in in John 13, was there. He was there Thursday night at the Passover dinner in the upper room. He's seated right next to Jesus. And so this account just has this aroma of, this is an eyewitness account. I mean, this is an eyewitness stuff. Um, You know, Luke and Mark in their Gospels, their spirit-inspired Gospels, they wrote their accounts by interviewing people who witnessed the ministry of Jesus. They talked to the disciples. They uh, talked to eyewitnesses, and they gathered it together. Luke says to write an orderly account. And yet John and Matthew, in writing their Gospels as disciples of Jesus, wrote under the guidance of the Spirit, drawing from their own experience, and probably eyewitnesses as well, talking to others, but this, this, this is unique. This, I, I felt like I was there in John 13. And of this, John writes in his first letter, 1 John chapter 1, verse 3, he says, That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and his son, Christ. We're writing that your joy may be complete. So he's there, and and it just, it's like there's this, you know what a GoPro is? You know, the the camera you strap to your head? It's like there's a GoPro, and uh, John just writing this up off of what he recorded on his GoPro when he was there at the Last Supper. Note the sovereign love of Christ. I'm seeing it in the first three verses, but let me ask you to look back to John 12, verse 23. John had already told us what Jesus said after entering Jerusalem. John 12, 23. Jesus said, The hour has come. For the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground, falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. So Jesus knew that his hour had come. He knew that the time for him to die was at hand. He knew that he was the true Passover lamb who would be killed on the Passover so that his people would be covered in his blood. 
forgiven of their sins and saved from the wrath of God. Jesus knew what kind of death he was to die. And that's why he said in, in John 12, 32, when I'm lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men to myself. He knows. Verse 1, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from, to depart out of this world to the Father. He knew that Satan had already convinced Judas to betray him. He knew that no one could take his life from him. He had authority to lay it down and he had authority to bring it up, to raise it up again. John 10, 18. And in verse 3 of John 13, Jesus knew that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and that he was going back to God. So I just marvel at the sovereign love of Christ. Jesus knows what's about to come. And his, his sovereign grace shines in this, embracing all of this Suffering that's yet ahead. He's not surprised by what's coming. He doesn't shrink back. There's no wavering. There's no self-pity like we are so prone to. The path of his sovereign, saving love from this point forward now entails betrayal, denial, ridicule, rejection, injustice, tears, flogging, Mocking, spit, sweat, blood, crucifixion, suffering, death, three days in the grave before he returns to his father. <laughs> so it's just knowing all this, John writes in verse 1 having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them all the way to the end. Beautiful. Behold the sovereign love of Christ for us. The meal. So now Jesus and his disciples are gathered at the table for the Passover meal. But before they begin to eat, so imagine they're sitting down, Peter, John, the, the rest, Judas. They're sitting down at the table. Before they begin to eat, Jesus gets up. And he takes off his outer garment and he picks up a towel, wraps it around his waist. Well, what is he doing? I mean, this is like being invited to a, a banquet. And, and you know who the, the most important person is at the banquet. You know who that is. And this person before the meal happens to, to see that, uh, that there's a need. Maybe the tables need to be wiped off. And so he takes off his coat and he takes off his tie and he puts on a busboy coat and he grabs a bucket of soapy water and he comes around and is washing the tables. They, aren't you the bus? You're the... But more than that, Jesus has put on the clothing of a house slave at that time. 
And in that Middle Eastern culture, you might rather prefer to empty the bucket on the outhouse than to wash someone's feet. There's still evidence of, of that in Middle Eastern culture, how the feet are dirty, repulsive. You know, somebody doesn't, I mean, you've seen this in Middle Eastern culture. You don't like the speaker, you take off your sandal and you throw your shoe at him. There's evidence from the time that Jewish slaves were not even allowed to wash feet. Leave that to the to the lowest of the low, the, the dirty Gentiles can wash feet. Well, the disciples' feet are dirty. They had been walking around through Jerusalem. There are no slaves in the room to wash their feet. Just the twelve and Jesus. So, Jesus gets up from the table. <laughs> those he loves, those he loves, have a need. And we will see he's doing much more than washing their dirty feet. He takes the basin, he takes a basin and a vessel of water, and he washes each of the disciples' feet and dries their feet with a towel. One after one after one, even Judas's feet. And he, he comes to Peter. Perhaps Peter was the last one. Maybe all the feet have been washed except for Peter when he comes to Peter. He has this conversation with Peter. I mean, so far it's been all action, no words. Jesus kneels down to wash Peter's feet. You know, who's going to break the silence? Peter, <laughs> right? Peter says, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus assured Peter that he would understand later. Peter counters, no way. You shall never wash my feet. Jesus says this, this is in verse 8. If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. In other words, Peter, if you will not humble yourself and let me, your Lord and teacher, the Son of the living God, wash your feet, you have no part with me. I mean, this is the gospel it out. This is the nature of the gospel. Jesus comes to serve all who will come to him in faith for salvation. He washes. He cleanses. He cleanses us from our sins. If we're too proud to be served by him and we want to clean ourselves or some workaround, or, no, I, I got this. I can fix myself. I don't need your washing. I'll, I'll be good enough. i then we have no part in Jesus. 
Peter, if I do not wash your feet, Peter, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. And Peter replies, well, then, Lord, uh, not, not my feet only, but my hands and my head. And Jesus says this, verse 10, the one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And then Jesus says, I assume he's looking around because this is plural. And you all are clean. Speaking to all the disciples, you all are clean. But not every one of you. Referring to Judas. So on the one hand, all the disciples, all 12 of them have dirty feet. And Jesus washes all 24 dirty feet. And at the same time, Jesus says that not all of you are clean. There's a, there's a thing like a spiritual bath that Peter and, and the other disciples, except for Judas, have experienced that they're, they're clean, they're washed, they're completely clean. They have a part of Christ. They haven't been cleansed of their sins, forgiven once and for all. The payment which will be Christ's death. So there you go. Now, after Jesus washed their feet, again, there's no words. Conversation with Peter. Jesus puts his garments back on and sits down at the table and I assume every eye is on Jesus like, what was that? What does it all mean? I put it in two points. What does it mean? Jesus, what does that mean? What are you showing us? Number one, Jesus Christ came to serve his people. It's number one. I'll tell you number two so you know where I'm going. Number two, Christ's people serve one another. So number one, what does this mean? Christ came to serve his people. That's the first point in Jesus' conversation with Peter. Only those who let Jesus serve them are completely clean. He serves us. It's, it's, it's all over the New Testament. Remember, the Son of God, though he was in the form of God, did not consider, uh, count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of sinful men and becoming obedient even to death on a cross. 
Christ came to serve his people by dying for us. The very night of this supper, the Gospel of Luke tells us that this dispute broke out among the disciples about who would be the greatest. It's written up in at least three of the four Gospels, and sometimes it's not clear exactly what time that happened, but Luke puts this dispute over who would be the greatest among the disciples right at this supper. Imagine, right at this supper. Like, Jesus is doing this stuff, and they're going to be talking about, well, I kind of want to be the greatest, you know? When this is all written up, like, uh, it's kind of like, I, I might write songs, but I want my name attached to it so that everybody knows I did this. And Jesus not only showed them that's not the way things are in the kingdom by his humbly serving. I, mean, I tell you, one of the ways I thought of this is Christ came and served us in, the, in a manner that no one in the universe could serve us by dying for us. And then he came and he served his disciples in a humble, simple way that anybody on planet Earth could do. A child could wash someone's feet. <laughs> Jesus rebuked the disciples. This is Luke 22, verse 25. He says, look, you guys, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them. And those in authority over them are called benefactors, but not so with you. Rather, the greatest among you. Let the greatest among you become as the youngest and the leader as one who serves. For who is greater? The one who reclines at the table? Or the one who serves and washes feet. But then he says, but I, I'm the one who serves and washes feet. <laughs> He's rebuking them. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. I mean, the, the pointers are all over the place. You, it, it, I'm going into the Passover meal now. You know what happens next? Jesus says, he picks up the bread. This is my body, which is broken for you. Take, eat. He's serving us, offering us his death for us. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Drink it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus has come to serve us by his death, 
cleansing us from our sins, reconciling us to God, removing God's wrath from us, that we might enjoy God forever and ever and ever. He serves us. It, it doesn't go the other way. You know, you think about, I, I need to clarify something because you, what, what about serve the Lord with gladness? That's different. What does that mean? It means worship the Lord, love the Lord, return his love for you, sing his praises. It does not mean wash Jesus' feet. He has no needs. He needs not our service. He calls us to serve him with our worship and our love and our being transformed into his image. He does not call us to serve him by doing stuff for him because he just does not have any needs. That's number one. Christ came to serve his people. (laughs) And that is the power and the engine and the grace and the conformity to his image that empowers point number two. You think about it. I, I got, I don't know, how many verses in the New Testament I could have gone to to call us to love one another. <laughs> Just everywhere. I chose to look at Jesus and watch him serve us in love and thereby be transformed into his image from one degree of glory to another that we might be empowered with due grace to serve one another in love. And all the other New Testament commands plug into this, this Jesus who loved us and gave himself for us. Point number two, Christ's people serve one another. Verse 13, you call me teacher and Lord and you are right for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. It's the argument from the greater to the lesser. Look, if if Jesus, our Lord and teacher, washes our feet, how much more ought we to wash the feet of one another? The values of the kingdom are opposite of the values of this world. And in this world, if you're important, if you're the leader, if you're the greatest, you boss people around. You throw your weight around. You want people to know it. And in the kingdom, you humble yourself and you serve other people like Jesus. Not for the sake of your name, but for the sake of his name. So to the disciples, Jesus says this. This is verse 13 of our text. I'm going to read it. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. 
Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, which you do because I'm telling you, blessed are you if you do them. Do them. So Jesus is calling his disciples to serve one another in love. Going to close with a few thoughts here now. Do them. So, do you think Jesus is setting up a, an ordinance like the Lord's Supper that the church believers should regularly wash one another's feet? You know, should, should we be adding? like a monthly foot washing to our worship services? No. I was going to say, I don't think so. That's too weak. No. No, we shouldn't. You know why? Our feet aren't dirty. We're some of the cleanest people in the history of the world. Our feet aren't dirty. You know, well, well, what about the early church? You know, there's, there's accounts where the early church practiced foot washing. Well, it makes sense if their feet were dirty. You know, basic etiquette, etiquette and basic cleanliness. People with dirty feet. Yeah, that makes sense. That's a need. But Jesus never instituted foot washing as he did the Lord's Supper. Why? Blessed are you if you do them. You know, he, he, he says, look, I've given you an example. You should do as I've done. Serve one another in love. Blessed are you if you do this. Why didn't he set up <laughs> foot washing so that we could just check it off in church once a month? And <laughs> because he knew that if we looked around and we saw the real needs all around us and we thought not merely of ourselves but also the interests of other people, we would not need a ceremonial foot washing to serve one another. We have been born of God by faith. We've come to know God as our Father. And we've come to know His love for us. We've come to know the love of Christ for us and His death for us. We have, by the Spirit of God, the love of God poured into our hearts. We have the mind of Christ to look not only to our own interests, this is Philippians 2, but also to the interests of others. We have been gifted Gifted, graced to serve one another in love, to build up the body of Christ. And God promises to supply his strength for us to use our gifts in love for one another. What is needed is not a ceremony, right? What is needed is that we respond more and more with deeds of love 
in response to the actual needs that surround us. And, um, I mean, the needs are all, we're all needy people. I mean, I got an email this week. My doctor said I have cancer. A mom, and this is not different different situation. One, one, one particular mother is, is struggling with the balance of life and children. And, I mean, the needs are all over. I mean, I, I, want, I, I want to say this, and I don't want to pull the rug on the ministry fair. The ministry fair is very important in pointing out the corporate needs in this church. And, and I want you to go to the ministry fair and consider whether God's calling you to use your gifts to, to help with the needs of the church in worship and greeting and children's ministry and in nursery. But we don't need a ministry fair to see need. Jesus sees a need. Oh, dirty feet. And he acts. I am so thankful for the, how many, hundreds, thousands of acts of love that I've experienced here in this church, and you have too. And we just ask God that we would love one another more and more and more. He has loved us, and Jesus has called us to this, that our joy may be full. Down in verse 34, Jesus says, A new commandment I give you. Here he translates from the word serve to the word love. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. Priority number four. Bethlehem, since Christ came to serve and to lay down his life in love for us, let us, enabled by his grace, devote ourselves to serving fellow believers in sacrificial love. I'm intentionally framing serve as the call to love one another, fellow believers because it's so loud and clear in the New Testament. Do good to all people, especially those of the household of faith. And next week, we'll be on Go, and we'll talk about love for our neighbors and love for the nations. Father in heaven, thanks so much for your word. And I just, just want to stop right now and have us all think about who, who are you? calling us to initiate uh, deeds of love toward right now and some act, some burn, some need you have put in our head, somebody around us. Grant us grace to, to love as Jesus has loved us. And I do pray for the, all the opportunities at the ministry fair and I pray likewise that you might call us to new engagements of love.
for the building up of the body and for the glory of your name and for our joy. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without written permission from Bethlehem Baptist Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at Bethlehem.Church or write us at 720 13th Avenue South, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55415. Bethlehem Baptist Church, spreading a passion for the supremacy of God in all things, for the joy of all peoples, through Jesus Christ.